Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to the 250th weekly roundup. I cannot believe I hit such a high number. It's been, it feels both like I just started it and like I've always been doing it. I don't know if that's a weird thing to say, but it kind of feels that way and it's been so much fun. It's been a ton of work, but an absolute blast getting through all these. And I love seeing how the retro gaming scene has changed and evolved. I love seeing all the new people come in and new consoles be considered retro, but at the same time, the really old ones are still getting more attention. It's just a hobby that's growing so much, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. So thank you to everybody uh, who watches and listens. There's been a few people who have been here since the beginning. Sorry that the first few of those were probably terrible, but hopefully I've gotten at least a little bit better. Uh, And of course, before we begin, I have to give a giant thank you and a shout out to John Lineman for stepping in for me last week. Uh, You know, I kind of said, hey, if I'm still feeling really sick on Tuesday, would you do it for me? You know, I'll I'll keep you updated. And really, at the last minute, I was like, yeah, I don't think I could do that. I don't even think I could stand for that long. And he jumped in and did an absolutely bang up job. Really happy that he did it and just so appreciative of it. And uh, it's very cool that I was able to make so many awesome friends throughout this long, weird journey of retro RGB, and uh, I'm very um, just grateful to everybody that I got to be friends with, and especially the ones that that, uh, contribute to the website (coughs) and that jump in and help like John did. So thank you very much to John. Thank you to all of you for keeping this going, and uh, let's jump in and see what we got going on this week. Well, it's been a weird couple weeks, so we might as well start out with a weird one. Feet. That's right, I'm about to review Feet. Todd Gill has just figured out which uh, rubber replacement pads will fit perfectly on Neo Geo AES control sticks and the consoles themselves. And for anybody unaware, the bottoms of those consoles have these feet that go over the screw hole areas that I guess can be described as like a papery felt material. And I don't really ever remember seeing these (coughs) in person back in the day, but all the ones now, 30 years later... They didn't age well. They're kind of falling apart. Um, in order to get to this, uh, the insides of any of these things, even if you just want to give your stick a thorough cleaning, uh, you have to either carefully peel them off, which usually ends up in them ripping, or just poke holes in them, as you see here on the top picture. So, <coughs> sorry, I'm going to be coughing through this whole thing. Uh, they haven't really aged well. And they're definitely in need of a good replacement. And the ones that Todd found are the exact same size and shape, but they're different. Um, Now, as far as usability goes, I would call it an upgrade. But if you're a collector that wants a Neo Geo that looks exactly original, this might not be for you. And I'll elaborate a little bit more. So they do definitely seem to be taller than the originals, at least in their current form. Maybe they were thicker 30 years ago before the papery material started to just wear away. But now the control stick in the console definitely sits up a little higher, which is probably 
good things for you know airflow reasons scratching the bottom there's probably a million good reasons for it but it looks different which does matter to a lot of collectors and also the material itself is different which is once again a good but different thing i think when you go to peel off these solid rubber feet um, it's probably going to come all off in one piece uh, and it's probably going to be easier to stick back on <clears throat> whereas the felt papery ones would kind of tear when you took them off. So as far as functionality goes, these definitely seem to be an upgrade, but they look and feel <coughs> different than the original ones. And, um, you know, it's really just up to you on what your end goal is. Would you rather have all original uh, where you ha probably still have holes in them or tears or something like that? Or do you want something more functional? So it's, you know, Reviewing feet isn't something I would normally spend a lot of time on, except the Neo Geo market, especially the AES side of things, is really filled with a lot of collectors, whereas the arcade MVS side is filled mostly with people that are gamers. And that's a generalization and a stereotype, and both of those things are wrong and bad, but it's not insulting at all to say that, which is why I feel comfortable saying it. Um, it just kind of sort of is what it is. So if you're a hardcore AES collector, um, these new feet, I would still probably consider them because they're only $4 and Todd sells a bunch of other cool stuff on RetroFrog like the uh, um, the Carby or Prism Brace that John talked about last week. Maybe pick up a couple of things and just throw that in your cart for an extra 4 bucks. But, it, you know, if you really are looking for an absolutely official Neo Geo AES replacement, um, I think Todd's probably going to still have to keep looking for those weird paper felt ones. But just know that these are going to be way more durable over time. So... Very odd that I just spent three minutes talking about rubber feet, but uh, hopefully um, Neo Geo collectors would care about that stuff. There's now a new exploit for some models of the PlayStation 2 consoles that essentially turn it into a soft mod without the need for a mod chip. So before I even get into Ronnie's post, um, if you already have a chipped PS2, that's probably going to be a perfect solution and you're not going to want to deal with this. And if you're a modder that has the skills to put a chip in, that's probably still a better option. However, it is not easy to do PS2 mod chips. Um, you know, some of the ones that I've seen out there are very complicated. And while some people take the time to run the wires right and make them functionally good as well as look good, they kind of go hand in hand with this stuff. If you have the wires separated properly uh, in the correct length, it ends up looking like a work of art, but there's actually some serious functionality that uh, that's retained by doing the mod correctly rather than just a, a wide mess of wires that could cause a lot of issues. So if you have the skills to do that, it's probably still something that you'd be interested in. But respectfully, most of us don't have the skills to do that, even people that are decent at other soldering projects. So the exploit that was found that um, that took advantage of the Mechacon, which is the mechanics controller, was recently patched, and now there's what they're calling a Mechapon exploit, which was done by developer Triska Balas. Belayus. I'm so sorry. Everybody knows how terrible I am at pronouncing stuff. And you're able to get models from the SCPH 5000 or 50,000 series through the 90,000 series and go through a process in order to soft mod the console, which will allow you to run CDRs and DVDRs. So this is really appealing to pretty much anybody without the crazy soldering skills required to do those mod chips because now you could play your backups and not have to worry. Now, 
also with PlayStation 2 consoles, um, especially the fat ones, it is very easy to just get a free McBoot memory card and play games off the hard drive. But that does not translate well for many PS1 games. There's always arguments in the comments every time I say that. But in order to really take advantage of the backward compatibility, you need to use, at least at the moment, discs to take advantage of that, not booting from the hard drive. So if you're somebody that uses their PS2 for both PS1 and PS2 games, being able to play homebrew, backups, uh, patched versions, I think those are probably the most exciting for me. Even if I own the real version of it, I do really appreciate getting some of these fan patches, the D-Dither patches for some that doesn't look great on everyone, but certainly on some. And uh, now you'd have the ability to do that without a mod chip and play all the discs that you want. So there's a few advantages and disadvantages to it. I definitely recommend going through Ronnie's post and reading everything that he summarized if this is something that uh, would be an interest to you. But overall, it's it's pretty awesome that something like this is starting to evolve and exist because as PS2 is kind of being had, kind of has a little more light shed on it, you know, there's always the discussion of what is retro. We just talked about that in the last writer's podcast. And uh, I think as things kind of swing back and forth, you know, it's, Things become, you know, new, then they just kind of are, are just mainstream, and then they're kind of forgotten about, and then they're they're kind of reintroduced. And I think those early 2000 consoles are really starting to come into light nowadays, and people are really starting to appreciate uh, all of the advantages and disadvantages, like 480i for most of the PS2 library. So the ability to go back and to re-experience the library on a soft-modded console is much easier with stuff like this and opens the doors for a lot more ROM hacking and things. So uh, definitely exciting for PS2 fans. I haven't gotten around to testing it yet, but I absolutely plan on it. Um, I think the consoles I have are the slightly older versions, so I, I would probably have to pick up a newer one to do this mod, but totally worth it. So uh, if you're interested, check out Ronnie's post, and hopefully uh, one of us will do a video on it soon, demoing exactly what you need to do and how it works. Some very cool news regarding the Xbox HDMI project. Uh, a couple of things. First, it's now officially called the Xbox HD+. Plus. Um, so you'll hear references to that, and you'll see them in Smoke's post. Um, and it's essentially the same hardware. There is actually a newer version with the Xbox HD Plus branding on it, but the only changes are really for installation and manufacturing um, as You've probably heard there's a lot of part shortages going on these days, so pretty much every product out there has to be slightly redone to accommodate replacement parts because of shortages. So I think that might be part of it as well. But as far as functionality goes, Xbox HD Plus is the same as the original. And there's some new features that's available to all of them, regardless of the branding. And I think the most exciting one for most people is a fixed output resolution. So before, the Xbox HD Plus was able to run in whatever the original Xbox dashboard was set to. So you'd have to... Uh, if you're using a modded console, go back out into that, or depending on how you set your resolutions, essentially treat it just like the original Xbox unmodded would. Um, and there really isn't too many disadvantages of that, but right now you could set it to, say, 720p, and it will do all of the scaling regardless of the input resolution. Now, this isn't rendering it at 720p, it's scaling it, but it's still pretty cool, and it's still going to be good for games that are, uh, let's say, 480i only if you don't have any of the software patches done to it. 
there's other features like um, the audio compatibility mode could resolve the issues of some displays not uh, getting the correct audio or getting static when you plug it in. There's also a color space selection, uh, which is something that I completely forgot about when I was testing it, is the Xbox by default uses component video color space, specifically the YCVCR. And with this option flipped, you could ch uh, choose to skip that conversion and just output directly as RGB color space. Most people, that really wouldn't matter, but depending on your display or your capture card, I'm really happy that that's an option. Uh, there's upscaling interpolation, so there's both nearest neighbor and bilinear scaling, so that's good if you're playing shooters that are 480p and you have it scaled to 720, uh, you know, you might want to have the sharper scaling done with that. Um, and there's also per game settings. So it's directly integrated with Xbox Media Center and XBMC for gamers. And that's a, a feature that I'm just a huge fan of that Dan and Kristoff really nailed with the PS1 Digital. Because as anybody knows, when you're going from this retro stuff, you have a lot of mixed content where I guess in the case of the Xbox, it's probably going to be mostly 3D graphics where you want to soft scale it, uh, you know, the bilinear scaling. But I'm sure there's still some scenarios in which you're going to want sharper scaling and uh, or I guess even different resolutions depending on what type of game you're playing so the ability to save per game is definitely going to be a huge advantage for people that really want to tweak each one because you only have to do it once um, so overall it's uh it's still you know the same device that you saw before just with a bunch more updates to it um, I haven't had a chance to try it out yet the only thing that Dustin was saying is you Definitely need an Open Xenium mod chip if you want to try the beta. Um, if you don't have one installed and you know something messes up, that's your fault. Uh, and you know I think that's totally fair because it's you know it, it's all out in the open. It's not a secret. They're being very um, you know very blunt about this. I think that's a good thing. And I think once it's out of beta, there should be probably the ability to support it across different mod chips or soft mods. But for now, if you have the Open Xenia mod chip and the Xbox HD Plus, even if it was called the original on it, you're able to go to their Discord, get the firmware, and try it out. And when it hits more of a uh, an official release, I'll definitely update mine and do a short video showing how it works. Also, orders for the next batch are open. The pre-order price is either $80 or $100 with an Open Xenium mod chip. I would just get the mod chip, honestly. Um, and the prices will increase by $20 when regular opens or orders open later on. Um, I guess that's probably to compensate for some of the part shortages and stuff like that. But overall, if you want more info, check out Smoke's post. And I will definitely be following up with the video at some point uh, when I have time after I've caught up with everything. Um, which should probably work out. About this, the time that this hits official release and comes out of beta, uh, I should be able to do a video on it. And it's pretty exciting because I'm really happy to see more more support for the Xbox, just like I am happy to see it for the PS2. And I do think that there are so many amazing games on those platforms that uh, I guess could be reintroduced to people now, especially with awesome scaling mods like this. The modding group Map Labs has just released a new set of maps for Half-Life 2, and I guess this is part of a competition where people could create different maps for the games. And there's a ton in this one, ranging from things with an 80s synthwave look to a 90s, you know, first-person shooter with keycard hunting, and even a parody of the Stanley Parable. 
And this is something that should be available to everybody because I don't think you even need to own a copy of Half-Life 2. You could just go into Steam and get the Source 2013 single-player SDK and be able to download and play it that way. Um, I'm not an expert in this stuff, so definitely refer to Chris's post if you want details on this. But I am, while I'm not so familiar with this exact process in the game, I am familiar with and a huge fan of fan enhancements like this. Said the same word twice in a row. Sorry, but um, I just get really excited because Half Life Two is an awesome game, and to be able to keep it alive by having completely different maps in it and different looks and feels are so awesome. And it's really cool that people are able to experience this. So if you're a PC gamer with Steam and you kind of want to have a new take on Half Life Two, definitely check out Chris's post for more info on how exactly that you get that, uh, and you know, give it a try and see what you think. James from RetroHQ has just released a new firmware for the Atari Jaguar game drive that allows beta support for JAG CD images, which is really cool because even those of us with Atari Jaguars probably haven't had the chance to experience and try those games because the JAG CD add-on was expensive and finicky, and even if you found them used, it was hard to get them working sometimes. So I'll walk you through exactly what you need in order to make this happen. Um, depending on your model Jaguar, it could either be very simple or a little weird. So let me walk you through it. Um, first, you need to get the latest version of the firmware. Uh, if you don't have the ROM cart yet, <clears throat> I have links to two of the stores that they're available on. I don't believe that pre-orders are back open, but you have the links here that you could um, just hold on to for future use. And you will need a faster micro SD card for this to work. But by faster, I don't mean a brand new expensive card. I just mean don't use something from like 10 years ago. So I linked to one that's a 32 gig card that's pretty fast. I uh, was able to load the entire 7 gig ROM set, which includes the CDs, by the way, in less than two minutes. Um, and it's the 32 gig, even though it's considered a small card these days, it's more than enough to accommodate the entire retail set and whatever awesome homebrew is coming. So I would recommend picking one of those up. They're cheap, they're 10 bucks. Uh, but in order to get this all working properly, I really suggest you do things in a very specific order. So first, <coughs> excuse me, power up your Jag with your game drive and launch any game in its current configuration. And that sounds like a weird thing to say, but I hadn't used my Jag in quite a while and I wasn't sure uh, if the problems I was having was with the Jaguar, with the game drive or whatever else. So definitely fire it up first and just make sure everything's working. Then download the latest firmware file from the link in the post, extract it to your computer, and copy the firmware update file to the root of the SD card. And even if you have an older card in there, just leave it for now just for testing purposes. Um, then when you power on the Jaguar, it'll update. And uh, once you hit the menu, hit zero on the menu to make sure that the version info matches this or is higher than what you see on the screen here. <clears throat> and make sure that all of them are, not just the firmware, but the ASIC menu and stub. And after you've confirmed that it updated properly, run that same game again. If you have problems, your Jaguar is probably one of the weird models, like, of course, mine is, because I always have bad luck with this stuff. Um, and you might want to revert to an older version of the firmware uh, or jump on the Atari Age forums and see if there's anything else you could do. I'll be sending my Jag to uh, to James um, I, I want to try to just give it to him so that he could hold on to this forever and be able to troubleshoot stuff like this. 
It's not a common model that has this, but it is one that has the problem. So after I updated, I spent quite a long time figuring out what the heck was going on, and I stupidly did not test beforehand, which is why I just told you to do that. So I was really chasing ghosts for a while until I went back to the original version and did it step by step like I'm explaining here. So that's kind of the cutoff. If the new firmware doesn't work with the same game that you just tried, you've got a bum version of the Jag. Uh, and you probably also have a Jaguar that has constant issues with retail games as well. Mine, I'll have to unplug and replug the cart and reboot the console 10 times before it loads the game properly. So you're probably already used to your Jag being temperamental. Now, assuming that everything works fine after the update, here's what you need to do. Um, First and foremost, you need to format your entire micro SD card. If you have a faster one, cool. If not, I would just use one of the newer ones like I described before. And after you format it, I use FAT32 and with um, 32 gigabyte cards, that's probably the default anyway. So you don't need any special software or anything. But you then need to load the Jaguar CD images first when you load it on there but you can't just drop bin and cues on you have to use software that james put up there and convert each of the original games whether you ripped it yourself or found it somewhere online you need to convert them to the correct format so it's only something that you have to do once and there's only like seven or eight games or something like that so it's not a giant pain um, it is kind of the first time you do it, but you know a lot of stuff in retro is like this. You kind of have to just suffer through it. So you convert the library, put them all in. A, you know, I put them in a directory that's just Jag CD, and after they're converted, copy that directory first to the micro SD card. After it's completely done copying, then you could drag and drop the rest of your folders with the ROMs in it on there second. And you're going to have to unfortunately do this every single time you add or change a Jack CD game. Not ROMs, you could just throw those on afterwards as usual. And it's kind of, um, we talked about this in the interview, so if you want more info on that, definitely check out the interview. But overall, it's not nearly as bad as it could be. Because like I said, with the faster but still cheap $10 micro SD card, I was able to have everything in a directory on my hard drive, um, drag, you know, format, <laughs> drag and drop the CDs, drag and drop the ROMs, all under two minutes, which I think is a really fair amount of time to spend on something like this. So it both stinks and isn't that bad at all at the same time. Once you get your JAG CD files all set up, once you have directories saved on your hard drive so you could just go back to it, it's really, really easy after that. Um, after that, fire everything up again. I would try the same cartridge game that you've tested before just to once again make sure everything's working properly, and then you should be able to just fire up a JAG CD game and play it. Now, <clears throat> it's still a beta, so uh, you know, you're know you going to expect to run into some glitches and stuff, uh, but it's just awesome that you have the ability to do this. If you run into any other weird issues, you could hold uh, buttons 7 and 9 on the controller, and it'll go through and do an auto scan of the micro SD card. The only downside to this is if it doesn't find any problems, it won't say anything. So, Basically, just watch it as it's going. You'll see this progress bar go across. And uh, if it doesn't say anything afterwards, it passed the test. Hopefully, in the next firmware, James could just throw in a note that says test passed or something like that. Uh, and if it, the micro SD card does have issues, it'll prompt you with an error or something like that. So overall, it sounds way more complicated than it is. So I'm just going to swing back to you know and give you the short, short version. 
Uh, update your firmware, format your micro, your micro SD card, convert your JAG CD games, which you only have to do once, copy the JAG CD folder first, copy the ROM folder second, and that's it. So while I wanted to give a thorough uh, overview of what to expect, it really isn't bad at all. And once again, if you have even a slightly modern micro SD card, that copying's less than two minutes. Uh, and if you want to hear more from James and more about all of this awesome Jag stuff, please check out the interview we did. I had a <coughs> I had a blast doing it and learned a lot, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So definitely check all that stuff out if you're interested. There is now a no-cut, no-solder IPS screen mod available for the Game Boy Advance consoles, which is absolutely awesome because, with respect, there seems to be a new screen mod every week for Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance with no real indication as to what is the best, what advantages, and if it isn't for people like Tito from Macho Nacho Productions, I would have just completely lost track of which is which and why you would want each one. Um, but his latest video shows this particular one, which is really great for people that, <coughs> that want to use their original shell without a modification. Because a lot of these mods, you end up with bigger screens, which is always awesome, but you have to cut the case, or at the very least, use a different front screen. And while replacement cases are pretty cheap and sometimes very good quality, sometimes they're not. Sometimes you could totally feel a difference when pressing the buttons. The buttons don't react as well, and it's not the same. Some people, nostalgia is important and they just want to use the same console they had when they bought it back in the early 2000s and there's nothing wrong with that so if that's the case this is the, definitely the mod for you you don't have to cut anything it's a hundred percent reversible should you ever want to uh, with no permanent modifications whatsoever and you don't even need to solder anything you basically just plug it all in and line it up <clears throat> I definitely suggest checking out Tito's video on it for all of the little details. The only other things I'll add are the advantages and disadvantages. Advantages is, of course, you know, no solder, no cut. Disadvantages being it's not as bright without a mod, so that kind of defeats the purpose of no solder. But um, it, you could actually jump one wire <laughs> and get the brightness up to the same levels as the other IPS screen mods. You do still have brightness control where you tap a capacitive touch sensor, which is lined up at the top of the screen, but there's no pixel mode. And for anybody unaware, <clears throat> that's a new mode that allows for vertical and horizontal scan lines that give you a true look to the original. I mean, on the uh, Neo Geo Pocket Color that I got from Tito... I have always left it in pixel mode and will never turn it off. I did once, and it was cool, but it didn't look like an old handheld. It looked like a modern screen. And with pixel mode on, you still get the sharpness. It still looks great, but <laughs> it looks like the pixels of the original. So there's no way... <coughs> Excuse me. There's no way to have that on this newer version, but hopefully the company who makes it will consider adding it in the future. Maybe something like where you hold the brightness sensor for five seconds to toggle pixel mode or tap it for brightness. Um, that's really the only thing that I would say is missing from this. The brightness doesn't even make that big of a difference to me. Uh, unless you're playing in a really sunny room, it shouldn't be too bad. But the uh, the pixel mode is something that I would definitely want. So absolutely subscribe to Macho Nacho Productions if you want more info on this stuff. Um, and I'll keep everybody updated if there's a newer version. But I'm just really happy to see a no-cut version of these where you could just 
Use it on an original GBA. Use your original buttons in case. And when the newer one is, you know, inevitably released next week, <laughs> if you really wanted to, you could pop this out, pop the new one in, and not worry about cutting or ruining your shell or anything. Playing the game Another Metroid 2 Remake, or AM2R, is now easier than ever if you want to play it on a Raspberry Pi, and slightly better for a few different reasons. Um, now, this is baked into the new version of Twister OS, and I'll, the short, short version is download Twister OS, install it the same way you would all other Raspberry Pi images, including with or without RGB support, um, and that's pretty much it. It's right there under the games folder. Now, if you're not so familiar or if you want a quick refresher course, I'll go into a little more detail on this now. And I guess since I haven't been able to do videos, I've done a few more in-depth written posts and it's all coming out now in the podcast. So feel free to skip to the next section if you don't really care about this. But I love AM2R and I spent a lot of time on the thumbnail, so stick with me. <laughs> uh, basically... Um, AM2R is a remake, a fan-made remake of Metroid 2 Return of Samus that almost everybody considers the best version, including even better than Nintendo's official remake of the game, Samus Returns. And while I still love the original, it's definitely better than the original Game Boy version of it. Um, amazing music, amazing graphics, and it's playable on a PC, so if you're a PC gamer, you don't need to worry about any of this stuff. But if you want something like a dedicated console, or uh, if you want an easy RGB output, doing things on a Pi are going to be the easier way to go about it. And while... There was a version last year of an OS that had this baked in. It was using Box86 and Wine to do it. So basically two emulation platforms. Whereas this one is an x86 Linux build of the game requiring only Box86 on a Pi. So you remove one layer of emulation. I'm kind of oversimplifying and people that really know about that stuff are probably rolling their eyes getting pissed at me, but that's a good enough example. You're removing one extra layer, allowing for more performance of the game. I didn't think it performed badly last year, but overall I like this better because of the ease of use of Twister OS. So if you want to use it, um, check out the Raspberry Pi section of the website. Um, it walks you through how to format your card, load up the image, and all that stuff. It's, it's much easier than it seems, so don't get intimidated by it. But that's basically it. After you're done, even if you already plan on using it on an RGB monitor, boot to an HDMI display first. Uh, if you're sticking with an HDMI display, go into menu settings and display, check out, uh, make sure it's set to the right resolution and all that stuff. I did have some weird issues where sometimes it would only let me go to 1024 by 768 or 1280 by 1024 and not 720p or 1080p, but it should be fairly straightforward for anybody who has even really the slightest PC skills. You do not need to be a Linux nerd for this, which is important to me because I like solutions that are easy for everybody, not just people who know how to write 50 lines on a command line to, to just to do something. No offense, but it kind of is the way it is. So uh, once you're all set up, you could then go in and either change the config text file to boot to uh, any kind of RGB hat solution, or you could kind of go from there. One thing that's pretty easy in this version of the OS that uh, I really appreciated was the ability to auto boot the game, <clears throat> essentially making it so that you could have this be what my, my dream for this always was, is AM2R on a cartridge, a card, really. So your micro SD card turns into your AM2R cart, where you just plug that into your Pi when you want to use it. Uh, and you basically just go to menu, session, and startup, 
uh, hit the application auto start tab, click on the little folder, search for AM2R, and then uh, use the runner file as the auto start, then just add a name and hit OK. Uh, the post seems long because I have a bunch of p- colorful pictures in it, uh, but it's really that easy. Well, you know, it takes pretty much as long as it just took me to say it in order to do it, and that's pretty much it. Uh, if you are using a Pi Hat, uh, I put the code that I used here. Uh, I left out one of the normal audio lines because it's already included in the Twister OS config text file. I'm sure there's going to be some pedantic comments about, you forgot the... No, it's there like this for a reason. Um, and also, the the hat that I had on hand was the one from Retro Game Restore. Uh, I normally use the, um, the RetroTink Ultimate just because of the wide variety of output options, but the Retro Game Restore one is still awesome as well. And a quick side note, uh, I linked to the case that I used, and it is the best Pi 4 case I have ever used, times a million. A few friends had recommended this to me over the years, and for whatever reason, I got stubborn and didn't want to spend 20-something dollars on a case. I was very stupid for not just doing so. It's an awesome little case. It breaks all of the ports out to the back. It moves the um, the GPIO pins, and everything seems to fit fine. The only thing I would love to see is a 3D printed case, which I know this isn't going to be a big seller, but people who wanted to use this uh, this case with something like the RetroTink Ultimate would be cool to have a plastic case that both uh, protected the top and bottom from shorts and maybe even add some little legs on the ground to uh, to prop it up so there isn't too much pressure on it. Todd, maybe this one's for you. I don't know. If you're, if you're into this stuff, consider it. But that would be kind of cool. But Overall, the, the setup like that really is awesome. Uh, I just thought it was super easy to plug in. And uh, even with this version of Twister OS, I didn't even have to switch the controller. I just plugged in a RetroFlag SNES-style USB controller, and it just worked. All the buttons were already mapped. Uh, that's I don't think that has anything to do with AM2R, and that's more the mapping of Twister OS and how it handles game controllers. But there's pretty much no setup. I mean, um, you know, I over-explained everything here just to keep everybody in the loop if you weren't used to this stuff. But basically, image the SD card, set AM2R to auto-boot, plug in your controller, and you're done. If you're used to Raspberry Pi stuff, it's like five minutes worth of work, uh, and now you have a dedicated AM2R card on a Raspberry Pi. So it was the only complaint that I have at all is a complaint that I also had when I used a PC with an arcade VGA card to go down to 240p, and that I get some weird effect some weird kind of I don't know if you'd call it a vertical screen tearing interference or something I have the gif here in the post uh, and I don't really know why it's doing that it did it on my desktop or yeah it did it on my desktop it did it on um, HDMI output of the Raspberry Pi it did it on RGB output of the Raspberry Pi but it did not do it on my laptop so and there's slightly different versions of the game. The Windows native build and uh, the Raspberry Pi is the Linux native build. So there's got to be something else going on. Uh, Dan Mons was taking a look at this. He actually was the one that walked me through the auto boot process. So uh, thank you very much to Dan for that. I'm, uh, I get frustrated with Linux sometimes, so I have to rely on my friends for help. Thank you. <laughs> much appreciated. Uh, and he said he was going to take a look at different possibilities of why this could happen. But if anybody has any thoughts, Please let me know on this, because while I did play through the game in its entirety using a a PC and an arcade VGA card with this screen tearing, it was noticeable. It started to bug me, and it's one of these things where it doesn't make the game bad, but I would 
you know, it, it just, it's something that I'd rather not see because, you know, I'm playing a game with this awesome graphics, this amazing music, and occasionally I'm distracted. Like, what's that flash? Oh, it's that thing again. You know, it just kind of would be awesome to be able to do this without it. So if you're into tweaking Linux setups, uh, and especially if you have the ability to use any of the, the GERT 666 adapters, so RetroTink Ultimate, uh, Retro Game Restore 1, Basic VGA, whatever, please check this out and see if you could help out with this. Um, Dan will probably get to it eventually, but you know we're all kind of swamped, especially, no offense, especially me catching up with you know three weeks of being uh, being almost useless. So it would be really cool to get this working perfectly. Uh, please share if you have any knowledge on this. Will's Console Mods is now selling an in-game reset board for the PlayStation 1 that allows you to hit a button combination in order to reset the console without having to get up and hit reset or power cycle your console from the buttons itself. Uh, this is based on an open source project started by Pyro ESP, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, uh, back from 2019. And... It seems to be a really good option for anybody that wants that, because while the PlayStation 1 Digital does have in-game reset, I do know a lot of people that use that for streaming and still game on a CRT. So you can't see the PS1 Digital's menu on your CRT, obviously, so you'd kind of, sometimes it might not exactly be the, the smoothest way to do an in-game reset. And of course, people using anything like the uh, X-Station without the PS1 Digital would definitely want some kind of easy way to do an in-game reset. Um, you could either just hit uh, L2, R2, select, and cross or for a long reset pulse, or L2, R2, select, and start gives a, a short reset, which just resets the current game being played. Uh, so I guess it's like a hard reset and a soft reset. So they're, um, you know, they're definitely good boards uh, for people that are interested in those features. They're $18, which is a fair enough price. And like I said, I mean, maybe if you game with your PS1 digital on a flat panel, you won't need this at all. You could just go right in the menu. But if you you know, have a PS1D and you also game on a CRT, or if you don't have it at all, you might want to consider this. And it does even work with original disc games as well. Um, I think... The functionality is probably not going to be used as much if you have to switch discs anyway. It's probably more towards the lines of ODEs, but it's definitely there if you want to use it. Also, Will's website has different install points for uh, different motherboards, depending. I would double-check that uh, before purchasing just to make sure that your model is compatible. But overall, if you're looking for in-game reset in a PlayStation 1, this seems to be a pretty good solution. So it looks like Sony is rightfully backtracking on their decision to shut down the PS3 and Vita stores. The original PSP store, the digital online store, will still be closing on July 2nd of this year, but it seems like they're going to be keeping both the PlayStation 3 and the Vita stores open. There's no set amount of time for this, but I would think it would be safe for at least the remainder of 2021. And I'm, I'm glad they reversed their decision because, to be blunt, I think that was absolutely a bullshit move for everybody, and especially people, indie stores and indie sellers who have games listed that people are still purchasing. Because I think we all have to come to terms with the fact that, you know, these stores have to eventually shut down. It's not cost effective for a company to start or to continue to support consoles two generations behind. Uh, you know, that budget might even take away from things that we want nowadays. So I understand stores shutting down and I understand the fact that, you know, if you have these original consoles, there's a chance that you're going to have to rely on piracy in order to continue to use them. I don't like it. 
but I get it and I accept that that's kind of the way things are. But what I refuse to accept is just allowing these games to disappear. Uh, It's my strong opinion and just an opinion. I change my opinion all the time. I'm not always right, but at least in this moment, if Sony had said something like, we're shutting off all of these stores. However, you could still purchase these games on your PlayStation 5. It's going to use software emulation to run them. It'll probably work fine, but you know, use at your own risk. Um, you could even use PS Vita games on it. And now all of these games are still available to purchase. I would think that that's an acceptable solution because you could still continue to play them on your original PS3 and Vita if you wanted to. You could purchase them on this if you just discovered an older game that you want. But most importantly, those indie game studios get to keep their games up. They don't have to spend the ridiculous amount of time porting them to the new platform hoping that people rebuy an older game. They could just have them available. I think something needs to be done to keep these games preserved, and it's really frustrating to see them just disappear. And I do think that these companies like Sony and Nintendo and Microsoft need to go out of their way to make sure that these games are available to play. Um, you know, I think it would be acceptable at first to call it a beta and just expect some glitches, you know, when playing these older ones, but eventually really make some effort for backward compatibility. Um, you know, the the current uh, president of Sony has certainly gotten some backlash for his views on older games, and I think universally people think he's wrong. I certainly do, because uh, I do. You know, it's, I'm not saying this because I run retro RGB. I'm saying this because I truly believe that when a game made, it, when a game was made, doesn't mean shit, and it never has, and it never will. Just like music, you know, maybe when you first hear a song or when you first play a game, certainly could have an emotional response. When that game was made has no bearing on whether you like it or not. And especially on game sales. You know, if you worked your butt off to make a game 10 years ago, just because it's 10 years old doesn't mean you didn't work hard and deserve to get paid for it if you still have the ability to buy it. So, um, This is proof, at least, though, that companies do listen to us. So let's make sure to keep our voices loud for things like this and let everybody know that we want to continue to play these older games and we want to be able to buy them as well. You know, a lot of people just think that this is all about piracy. And while I'm 100% supportive of that for all the right reasons, not people who resell other people's IP, but people who back up and archive all of this stuff, um, that shouldn't be the only way that these games survive. There's really no excuse for that now in a mostly digital era. So let's keep being loud. Let's let's keep telling these companies what we think. Hopefully my thoughts came out clear. I'm still not firing at 100%, so if I just sounded like an idiot half the time I was talking, please be gentle with me. I'm, I'm not I'm not as sharp as I, or sharp-ish as I normally am, but uh, the point is definitely fair in that. Let's just keep, keep, uh, let's keep our voices loud and keep holding these companies accountable for stuff like this. The Memcard Pro is now available for pre-orders in multiple colors. Nothing else has changed. It's still the same awesome Memcard Pro. It's still compatible with all the same firmware versions. It's just a color difference. But I think it's absolutely awesome that uh, that these are now being offered. Aesthetics are really important to a lot of people, uh, both not only just for how it looks, but for the personalization factor. You know, if your favorite color is red, it's awesome to have a red accessory to bring with you places. And uh, I'm just a, a fan of choices like this. Uh, price is the same. Everything else is the same. You could pre-order them <laughs> from a couple of different places. Um, I have them linked here. 
once again, for anybody unaware, the MemCard Pro is basically a micro SD based memory card for the PlayStation 1 that will work also on fat PlayStation 2s, but just for PlayStation 1 saves. Uh, And it's a really awesome option for people that want to have everything on one card, as well as I think it's something that almost could be considered a must buy if you have an X station and a PlayStation 1 digital because you know, you have per game settings that could be saved. Um, it, there's just so many different options for this. Please check out the uh, the full review if you want more info on it. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people saw the price and just ran away without ever actually understanding what this does. And granted, you know, it's not for everybody. If you just have a couple of games that you want to play and save, save your games on, picking up a, a used official one, or I guess two newer ones, because the, uh, the third party ones... I guess they're kind of cheap and flimsy, but you know, for eight bucks or whatever they are, I guess if you buy two and constantly copy the saves between to back them up, I don't know. I think I'd rather just buy the expensive good one, but at least you have a cheap option available. But if you want a fully featured thing, definitely check this out. Uh, and also, just uh, for micro SD cards, you could use pretty much anything because even a two gig card will get you more storage than you could probably ever use. So. Uh, overall, it's it's a pretty awesome device, and now I'm just happy that you could buy them in a bunch of different colors. Last week, Genovi posted a video that I thought was really cool and I enjoyed, but I didn't think was so much of a fit for a retro RGB post, but I wanted to at least quickly mention it here. It's about the CDI game Mutant Rampage Body Slam, and it was both a good video but also an interesting video in that you could look at it two different ways. You could look at this as a video that's highlighting a company who made a game using the limited tools that they had available and did a really good job doing it, or you could look at it as a CDI apologist making excuses for a terrible console, um, or, or anything in between. And I just thought it was a, a really interesting video that if you're interested in the CDI at all, it's certainly worth uh, watching and, and maybe even discussing. Um, you know, check out the video and check out the comments there, of course. But, uh, you know, after spending so much time with the CDI, I, I understand that it was not a game console at first, and then they kind of forced it into being one. Uh, but there are some unique games on it that are certainly worth playing. I definitely liked Thunder in Paradise. I didn't get a chance to play this one, but if you like beat-em-ups, this one's pretty cool. Uh, and I did just enjoy the video. So I wanted to quickly mention it here. Uh, if you don't care about the CDI, I don't blame you. And uh, skip it. But if you have even the slightest bit of interest in that very odd and unique console, um, definitely give it a watch. There's a bunch of very cool guest appearances in there. And um, I, I just I thought it was a really great mini documentary about about it that that kind of came at it from a unique perspective that you know I guess a polarizing perspective if you will but I still liked it a lot and wanted to share it well that's it for this week as always thanks so much to everybody that supports in absolutely any way whether it's the monthly support services tipping or even just clicking through affiliate links or going to the support page, uh, clicking on an Amazon link and buying something you were going to buy anyway. All of that stuff helps so much. And I just got to say, I felt absolutely awful when I see when I saw a bunch of people drop off the monthly support stuff last week. I am so sorry to let anybody down. Uh, honestly, I promise you, if I could have gotten off the couch, I absolutely would have. That was not a choice. <laughs> that was you know, the, the almost one post a day is all of the energy I possibly could have had. And I really felt 
terrible not keeping up on all the content. So I'm so sorry to let everybody down. Um, I'm not dead. So, uh, you know, rest assured that I will try my best to be back at full speed fairly soon. And I certainly won't miss the weeklies, uh, at least as far as I know in the foreseeable future. So as always, thank you all so much. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>